Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. To Luke uh, chapter 18. Now before we hear verses 1 through 8. Now before we read that, uh, I have a story to tell you. Uh, In the Deep South, uh, in the 1950s, during the time of segregation, there was an elderly black woman who was defrauded, who did not receive a life insurance payout from her husband who had just recently passed away. So this African-American widow was taken, all this money that she was owed was taken away from her. Well, her only chance to get payout was to go to a judge and to appeal to this particular judge and say, hey, could I get that, that money that is owed to me because it's the life insurance money that I should be getting from my husband. But there was a problem. See, this judge, during this time in the Deep South, uh, where segregation was, was going on, was a racist, like a lot of uh, people were back in those days. And he had really no interest in giving her uh, any, any money because, you know, he's just like, ah, she doesn't really need it. And so he was just ignoring this particular African-American widow. But this elderly black woman just kept going to him time after time after time after time. And eventually this judge gets fed up and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to give her what she wants so she stops bugging me because she is frustrating. So this, this elderly African-American woman received that payout that she was due, that life insurance money that she was owed. So I tell you that, that story. Well, I don't know if this actually did happen in the South. Things like it probably did happen. I don't know. I, I didn't grow up in that area. But the passage that we're going to read today in Scripture actually is a very similar story to the one I just told you. We have a widow here in a hopeless situation who receives a payout due to her persistency. The point of this parable is that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples that you guys need to pray repeatedly and continually until I return. So given Jesus' second coming, his disciples need to busy themselves, need to work in faithful praying uh, as Jesus is going to come back. So therefore, this is kind of the theme of our text. As Jesus' disciples, we are to pray repeatedly and faithfully to our God while we wait for Jesus' kingdom. Often in the Christian walk, we may pray for things and God doesn't really seem to act. Uh, In particular, view in this parable is a cry for justice. For example, recently this past Easter, uh, many of you who follow current events know this, there was a a bombing in Pakistan of a bunch of Christians who gathered together to celebrate our, our resurrection. And sometimes we can be asking, where is God's Solution. Where is his justice with this wickedness that's practiced against his saints? So what's a Christian to do? Well, the best response is to pray like this widow did in Luke chapter 18. So I invite you to read with me this morning, uh, Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, 
I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what this unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So this particular parable, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and in, in his words, verse, verse 1, is to, that they ought always to pray and, and not lose heart. So that's what Jesus really wants us to understand. But a couple of things before we go to kind of looking into the details and meaning of this parable, it's just about the book of Luke in gen- general. Uh, Luke is a Gentile author, and he's really concerned to show that Jesus is about the outsiders, uh, that, the outside people of the religious community. You know, J- Luke, being a Gentile, he was an outsider. You know, he wasn't considered a part of the religious community of the, of the Jews. And so he really wants to show, you know what, the gospel is for those who are, aren't just really good people. It's also for those outsiders. So some of the heroes in, in Luke's stories, what you'll find like a centurion, a widow, a leper, those individuals that would have been cast out of the religious communities because what Luke is saying is, look, this is for the, the outsiders. The gospel's for everyone. And we see the reversal in Luke where the first will be last and the last shall be first. So this parable really is in conclusion to, to chapter 17. Uh, our chapter divisions, I think, are a little unfortunate here. It really is kind of the conclusion of Jesus' teaching of his second coming. So the widow is how the disciples are supposed to respond to Jesus' return when he comes back. So the, the, uh, Jesus is wanting us to understand what our attitude is supposed to be uh, since the second coming is, is, coming, is coming up soon. So the widow represents, for us, persistent praying. You know, parables sometimes we can, have, we can struggle and wrestle and work, work through parables and begin to, to think through, like, what in the world does this mean? However, Luke, he gives some great editorial comments, and he says, look, what you guys need to understand is Jesus, he wants us to always pray and not lose heart. But I want you guys to notice the verb there where it says, ought. You guys should see that in verse 1. It says, the disciples ought to pray. In the Greek, it's the Greek word day, which means it is necessary. Oftentimes, almost always, it's used as a divine imperative, meaning that this is something that absolutely must happen. So, in other words, Jesus is saying, look, these disciples, they need to be about this business. This is very, very important. The second part of that verse uh, it says that we ought always to pray, and then it says not lose heart. I actually like what the NIV says, where it says never give up. So in other words, Luke is kind of saying the same thing uh, in both the beginning and the end. He's like, look, disciples ought to always pray and not give up on their, on their praying. They need to be in continual prayer. So this widow represents this in Jesus' parable. A widow during Jesus' time could have been young or, or old, but in a male-dominated culture, they would have been kind of ostracized. And, and without a male to represent her in court, she probably didn't really have a good chance at receiving justice. And so, in her case, it was probably a financial thing that was going on due to her husband's death. We're not really sure. Jesus doesn't tell us that particular detail. But regardless of what it is, the widow keeps going to this judge, pleading for justice against her adversary, whoever that might be. Jesus tells us, he indicates to us, that this judge doesn't really have any 
uh, reason to really hear this, this widow. So how in the world is the widow going to get justice? How is she going to get this? She doesn't have anybody to advocate for her. She doesn't have a judge that's really sympathetic to her cause. So how is she going to do it? Well, she turns to the only weapon she has, her continued pleas for justice. Now, the courtroom back in Jesus' day is nothing like the courtroom we experience, where you have dockets, appointments, appearances, things like that. Now, in these days, if you were rich or important, you got to go to the front of the line. And if you were kind of the you know, poor or not really all that important, you're in the, the back of the line. So likely what was going on in this parable, the, the scene that Jesus is picturing, is we have this widow who's kind of shoving, pushing, moving her way to the front and just crying out over everybody else, hey, give me justice over my adversary. And so this justice, this judge is like thinking, man, eh, whatever, she's just going to go away after a while. And he's pretty apathetic about what's going on here. However, she just keeps coming and coming and coming. And so this, joy, this judge is just like, man, she is just frustrating me, and she is annoying me. You know what? I'm just going to give her what she wants. So Jesus is giving us this widow as an example for prayer. However, there's other b- biblical characters as well who show this same sort of persistency in prayer. So I'd invite you to uh, keep one figure, finger here in Luke chapter 18, but to go back to Daniel chapter 10. And before we read this passage, let me explain a little bit of what was going on ahead of time. See, in this passage, what we're not going to read is Daniel has received a a vision from the Lord, and he's really confused. He has no idea what it means. And he wants to know, okay, God, what what is this meaning of this particular vision? So for three weeks, we are told Daniel's fasting, mourning, and praying before the Lord. So Daniel's seeking some sort of answer to this prayer. So we're going to pick up Daniel chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And And I came to make you understand what has happened to your people in the latter days, for this vision is for the days yet to come. So in this passage... What we're told is the reason that Daniel's prayers were being hindered or why he wasn't receiving an answer straight away was because there was some sort of resistance in the demonic forces. But yet his persistency in prayer and fasting moves God to give Daniel the answer that he's seeking. But there's also other stories that that we could come to that relate to the same point. For example, there's a story that comes to us from church history. Now, there was a, a mother of a very gifted public speaker at this time, and her, she really wanted her son to come to know Jesus. So this mother was praying for her son continually. God, would, would you allow my son to come to know Christ? And so she just keeps praying this prayer and keeps talking to this son, trying to convince him to surrender his life to Christ. 
However, her son was given to a sexual appetite um, and indulging in that appetite. He was, many of his career choices were about power, prestige, and money, and those sort of things. At one point, he even joined uh, a cult. In some ways, I, I think of this mom as kind of like a Facebook stalker before Facebook stalking was a thing because her son would try to ditch her in towns and, she, and take off to another town and not tell his mom where he was going. But this mom, I don't know how she did this, figured out where he was and tracked him down and was there again, just pursuing and praying for her son to come to know Christ. Well, eventually, her son did surrender his life to Jesus. And after many years of this pursuit of praying for her son, she got to see her son come to know the Lord. Now, you know this person, this son that that this mom had prayed for for years as St. Augustine. And if you don't know who that is, it's probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, church theologian that we've had uh, since the apostles. So why does it matter to you? Well, like the widow in the parable, Daniel, Augustine's mother, we are to pray for the same things repeatedly. So the widow cried out for justice many times. We're not told how many times, just that she kept coming. Daniel prayed for a vision, for, over, for an answer to what this vision meant for over three weeks and received it. This Augustine's mom prayed for years to see her son come to know Christ. So like those individuals, we too ought, are to pray and not give up. Luke is telling us that we ought to bring to God those same requests over and over again. So as we end kind of our series on prayer, at least from the pulpit, I know many of our growth groups are still kind of working through the, the prayer guide, the prayer uh, workbook. But our hope is that your life of prayer would maybe have just been encouraged through this month. And the, the question is, is that going to be something that is a one-month thing, or is it going to be something that develops and goes through your whole life? You know, one month of prayer is, is good, and focus on prayer is good, but imagine a lifetime of, a, of us devoted to prayer. So will our life be, one, marked by fervent, expectant prayer? Will we persevere? See, our perseverance is marked by persistence. Think of, like, working out, for example. You know, I don't get in shape overnight, or we don't get in shape overnight. We have to work out consistently, persistently, in order to get in shape. Our spiritual lives work in a similar fashion. Persistent praying is a mark of a faithful Christian. A Christian continues to pray, continues to go after God and ask for his will. So perseverance, this idea of staying and sticking with things, does not come easily for us as Americans. Uh, You know, it's pretty well documented how long New Year's resolutions last, which aren't really all that long. So Americans... As Americans, we kind of live in an instant culture where things, we want things right now in this very instant. So we move as soon as we begin to have a problem with something, and we may leave a job as soon as there's some sort of turmoil or trouble that we have in a job. Now, I'm not going to say that there aren't legitimate reasons to, to move or to, or to quit a job, but I know how easily sometimes for me it is to just quit because it's just the easy thing to do. So this is the person I, I think of the individual who works out persistently every day or that individual, you know, who just kind of lifts, lifts weights whenever they feel like it. I mean, you're going to see the difference over the long haul over that person who has that discipline of staying in the gym and that person who just like, you know what, I'm just going to go work out once when I feel like it. Perseverance, then, is a trait that's to mark God's elect. So one of the consistent calls in Scripture, particularly to 
to God's people is to persevere, not lose heart, and to endure. So how can a Christian endure and persevere? We are called to it. We see it in his word. We know of some inspiring examples from the past, but how do we do it? Well, perseverance is a gift of the Holy Spirit. See, only God's children will endure to the end. We can pray for it. We strive for it. Um, As one commentator I was reading mentioned, we tend to underestimate the value of long-time persistency and consistency. Uh, For example, consider that that you decided to memorize one verse a week for a year. So how many would that be? Well, that would be 52 verses in a year. Imagine that you did that over 20 years. How many verses do you think you'd have memorized? Now, I I don't see him here, but if I had Mickey here, he would just rattle it off because he's a human calculator. But it's over a thousand verses. You know, I doubt, and I'm saying this to myself as well, I doubt most Christians have that many verses memorized because we haven't committed ourselves to that persistency. Imagine the same thing with prayer. You know, for example, let's say you devoted yourself to 15 minutes of prayer a day. So that's it. You're just saying, you know what, I'm just going to separate, I'm going to take out 15 minutes of prayer every day. Well, if you did that over a year, you would spend nearly four 24-hour days in prayer. You see, sometimes we don't, we kind of underestimate the value of sticking with something, even if it's something that's small. You know, for our, our church, for example, we pray for our missionary partners, our, our individuals around the gro- globe. We pray for them persistently. We pray for them continually, hoping that the Lord will do a work. And we are to, to stick with that prayer. I'm not really sure how this works in God's economy, but for some reason, he seems to honor these faithful, persistent, repeated requests. So develop a list, I would encourage you, of, of those things that you're asking the Lord to act on your behalf. And thank God when he does. When God does answer those prayers, make sure you take the time and be like, you know what, thank you God for answering that prayer. But the question is, and this is kind of a, something that's definitely in this parable, is why does God delay his answer? You know, why doesn't God just give it right away? So the second character in this parable that we should note is this unjust judge who helps us understand what it means to faithfully wait. So the widow helps us understand what it means to persevere in prayer, but the judge helps us to understand what it means to faithfully wait. See, this unjust judge in this particular passage is not really moved by any moral scruples or any moral conviction to help this widow. We're told in verse twice, verse 2, verse 4, that he neither feared God nor respected man. Not the kind of guy that you'd want to be a judge, I would think, but for whatever reason, he was, he was the judge. So what made this judge act on the widow's behalf? You know, he has apathy for a long period of time. I'm sure he's just thinking, you know what, I'm just going to ignore this widow. And after a time, she's just going to go away. And that's probably what he was thinking. kind of reminds me, you know, I've been on some bus trips, and I have that kid in, in the bus trip that keeps going after me. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I'm like, we're an hour away, just to not have her, you know, say that anymore. I really have no idea how close we are. Um, But anyhow, I think that's kind of what's going on, is that persistent question that he's like, oh man, I just gotta get her to stop. So he says this in in verse, in verse, uh, in verses four and five, he says, you know what, 
this widow keeps bothering me, I'm going to give her justice so that she will not beat me down. Now that word, beat me down, means literally to give a black eye. So this judge is thinking, look, I'm, I'm beginning to have a, a soured reputation in the community because I'm ignoring this widow. So you know what? I'm just going to give in and give it to her because my, my reputation's at stake right now, and it's not looking that good for me. Now Jesus shifts, and, he's, and he says, look, hear what that unjust judge is saying. Whereas that, that unjust judge was apathetic, really had no interest in giving the, the widow any kind of justice, what he says is like, look, now, now think about God. Now, if the unjust judge is moved by the persistency of the widow, how much more God? So he asks two rhetorical questions uh, in verse, verse 6 that have obvious answers. He says, he says what? I'm, I'm sorry, verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And the answer is, yes, of course, God is going to give justice to his elect. And yes, God is not going to delay long over his over his people. He's going to give justice to them speedily. That's what Jesus says. However, at this point, we may kind of be wrestling with the problem because it seems like God's answer is delayed, at least from our perspective. Why in the world does it seem like God delays his answer to us? You know, it's been said that God typically answers prayers in three ways. The, the three ways are yes, no, and wait. I have to be honest, I think sometimes I'd rather hear no than wait. Um, just that, that sometimes that waiting is, is really hard. But why in the world does God have us wait? Well, Peter gives us one explanation in Second Peter 3, 8 and 9. He says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Peter's explanation is that, you know, God's slowness or apparent slowness is really just our perception of how God is acting. See, God is not slow to act, but he is acting on and moving on his timetable and his agenda, not ours. See, our, our problem is we want God to conform his timing to ours. And God acts and intervenes as he sees fit, not as we would like to see him act on our behalf. Uh, as he says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, he says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we may never really know why God delays the answering the continued pleas of his people. Some of his reasons may forever remain mysterious to us. Personally, I think I've experienced this a few times. Uh, I'll just mention one. When Julie and I were, were first married, I had the great idea of being a broke college student to move from being a broke college student to being a broke seminary student. So here I am, newly married, with no money, but, you know, it's like, hey, let's go to seminary. That sounds like a great idea. So here I am, full-time seminary, with a, with a wife that I'm supposed to take care of. After one year of seminary, I began to realize, you know, I'm kind of tired of eating ramen every night. Um, there's got to, it's like, I, I need to be able to support my family. So Julie and I began to look and seek out full-time employment somewhere. And so we found a camp that wanted both of us. Uh, Julie and I met at a summer camp, and so it was just a good fit for us. We were just thinking, hey, you know what? We're going to go all in at this summer camp. We're going to be full-time there, and it's going to work out. 
Well, what we found was six weeks, six weeks later, we were both laid off without work. So here we were thinking, oh, you know what? We, we finally found a permanent position. And so there was a period of months there where I was seeking any employment. I mean, I, I was looking at, you know, Starbucks, Taco Bell, being a waiter. Even uh, at one point, they called it, I, I had to laugh, they called it a recycling coordinator. And when I began to understand what the job was, it was a fancy way of saying, you're a janitor who gets to deal with the recycling. So um, I, I love how they make, made it sound a lot better than it really was. So I, I was looking for all these sort of different different jobs, different careers, and just asking God the whole time, God, would you just allow me to, to have a job to provide for my family? Eventually, throughout this period, my, my wife and I eventually secured a, uh, a part-time seasonal position to just kind of help us get by. But the whole time, I was just asking God, God, would you call us to the place and to the, the work that you would have us to do? Well, eventually, God ended up calling us out here to Emmanuel to serve uh, with you guys for over these five years now, a far better place than, than we really deserve. But in hindsight, I, I realized what God was doing is he was taking me through a process so that I would learn to be radically dependent on him for my daily bread, so that it wouldn't be about me and about my qualifications. I didn't quite realize this at the time, but going into this, I had a pretty big head about how great of a person I was, and God kind of took me through this to kind of knock me down a few notches, and I'm very grateful that he did. So my encouragement for you then is for your continued prayers. Pray and do not give up. God may be in the process of teaching you something. God may be leading you through something to test your faith. That's why one of the questions Jesus asks is when he comes back, is he going to find faith on earth? See, a faithful prayer is one that it continues And a perseverant prayer is a faithful prayer. See, these two things are connected. If you're faithful, you're going to continue to persevere in prayer. And if you're persevering in prayer, that means that you are faithfully praying. However, we may still kind of have this issue where it can seem like this side of heaven, where the wicked prosper and the righteous are persecuted. Maybe you've experienced this personally. Maybe you you told the truth to your employer and you lost your job. You were fired for telling, telling the truth or insisting on integrity and in how you did business. Or maybe you, you were the individual who did business all the right ways. You, you had a business, you did it everything right, and you lost it. And your competitor down the street, who had no moral scruples, seemed to have a successful business. Or perhaps you're just kind of shunned and ignored at work, just kind of put to the side, not promoted because of your Christian witness. They know that you're Christian, you know, like, you know what? We're not going to promote them because of that, and you get moved to the side. Or maybe some of you students, you took a test in your school, you insisted on doing things the right way, and didn't get as high of a grade as some of those in your school who cheated and therefore were rewarded in school. So at times, it can seem like the wicked are succeeding and being rewarded in this life where the righteous are persecuted and undermined for doing the right and godly thing. So this is why one of the repeated prayers in Scripture is, How long, O Lord? Revelation 6, 9 through 11 says this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out and with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer 
until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Habakkuk, who we just read earlier, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he cries out at the very beginning of his book, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? See, throughout Scripture, we see God's saints crying out for God to act. And God's answer is apparently the same. They need to wait. It's the biblical, so it is very biblical way for us to pray and to ask God, how long are the wicked going to seemingly be rewarded and the righteous going to be persecuted? In view of all of God's responses is, you know what? I am moving to act in ways you cannot understand. You need to wait. So he's delaying, in particular, just kind of thinking back to First Peter, or First Peter there, that all his saints to be gathered. But we should note that this prayer, in particular, is for, for justice. Remember that this parable and prayer is tied back to Jesus' return. See, Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead and to establish his kingdom on earth. Maybe you've been treated unfairly. Pray for Christ to come back. Or maybe you've lost a job for doing things the the right way. Well, you need to plead for Jesus to return. A quick glance through the Psalms, if you just kind of read through them and just kind of look at the beginnings, you see that David, he continues to plea and to ask God for justice. So we're not to seek out justice and vengeance for ourselves, but rather for God's justice in the second coming. You know, since God is going to return in justice— then, then we do have no need for us to avenge ourselves. This is why Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 14, he says this, Bless those who persecute you, bless, and do not curse them. A little later in verses 19 and 21, the same chapter, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Christians then, we appeal to God to come back to return in justice. So we pray and we ask for God to come back in justice so that we have no need to take matters in our our own hands. To take things in our own hands, to strike back, to get vengeance in our own life, really shows that we have a lack of, of faith and a lack of patience in waiting for God to come back. You know, it's kind of an odd thing, but the, the justice of God really is, I think, meant for believers to receive a peace about the injustice we may experience now. You know, God is going to be the one who settles accounts, not us. I do not need to get even. I will let God be the one who does that. You know, David was one person who really understood this really well. You see, David, uh, at, in, we read in 1 Samuel, he was a faithful servant of Saul. He, he was an individual who was kind of Saul's champion, one of his, his generals, and he was just faithful and loyal to Saul. However, Saul begins to turn against David. He begins to get jealous of David, and, and he chases David out into the wilderness, pursues him to kill him. David had two opportunities to kill Saul, yet he refused to do, do so. David tells Saul this, why he didn't, in 1 Samuel twenty four twelve. He says this, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. 
So, so David tells Saul this, but later on, to the Lord, he would pray this in Psalm 13, 1 through 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, what David's kind of example shows is like, you know what, I know what the right thing to do. I will let God take care of the business of justice and vengeance, but I'm going to entrust myself to God. And you could see in David's prayers in the Psalms that he is devoted to, to his relationship to God and just pouring out his heart before him, asking God to come and give him justice. You're going be, you're even going beyond just these pleas for justice, we are also told by Jesus to pray for our enemies. You know, it's kind of a hard thing. How can we pray for our enemies? Well, the only reason I, and the only way I think we can pray for our enemies is to know what God is in the business of justice. God is in the business of judge, judgment. So I can pray for my enemies. I will let him deal with that. I can pray for their conversion. I can pray for them to, to repent. See, God and, and Jesus, he tarries for now, but not forever. He's not coming back in this very moment, but we never know. He could come back at any time. And he will return, and the question is whether or not you will be marked by being in him or not in him. See, God's, di- God's judgment is a promise of peace for his people for, and vindication for his elect, but it's a day of terror, a day of wrath for those not in Christ. I want to take you back to something Peter was saying earlier. You know, one of the reasons we're told that God delays his return is that God is wishing that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So if you're not among God's followers, God delays his return so that you would repent. He is giving you time. He is being patient with you so that you would repent and believe the gospel. However, as this parable is teaching us, he will not delay forever. Jesus is returning for his people. So would you repent of your sins and trust in Christ? John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, there are two possible destinies when Jesus returns. Both of these destinies are eternal. The first one is eternal life with God in heaven for those that are in Christ. The second is the wrath and justice of God poured out on you eternally in hell. God delays to give you the opportunity to repent, so repent while there's still time. We never know when the Lord may return, so repent now. The, the devil tells you to repent tomorrow. For those of you who, that are in Christ, my, my hope is that your lives would be marked by consistent, continued prayers. Do you long, do you pray for the Lord to return? Do you pray for him to come back? Remember that a, dis, that a disciple of Jesus is marked by praying repeatedly and faithfully as we wait for Jesus' return. Now, I was thinking of a way of close this, but I, I really think the best way to close this uh, particular parable is to, is to read what Jesus said in verse, in verse 8. He says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a question for all of us to consider. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. That in my own heart, how easy, how easy it is to, to give up on, on things, to, to quit, uh, to not persevere. 
to not devote myself to the prayer. But God, I know how the, the injustice that, that, I've, that I've personally encountered, and, and God, I can, just ima- I can only imagine the, the injustice, the, the pain, the suffering that individuals that are enduring even here this morning. And God, I do pray for you to return, to come back soon, to vindicate your, your people. God, I also pray for those who, who have not yet repented. God, may you be stirring in their hearts even now that they would repent and believe the gospel and escape the wrath to come. God, I thank you for, for your word, for, for the challenge to persist and to continue in prayer. And God, I pray that our, our lives would be, be ones that are devoted to prayer. We ask this in your name. Amen.